Early on, when I started this show, I created the slogan, Every Object Has a Story. And one of my friends said that he disagreed with it. I mean, does every single thing really have a story? I guess what I try to showcase on this podcast are the certain objects that will have a better chance of opening up the personal stories connected to it. If I had a pencil box, what would the inside contents show me? You end up with what's worse is little boys and some little girls have these pen knives. And which school children will it take me to? The Lutheran church they attended burned, so all records were lost. Welcome to Object Obscura. This is the Historical Investigative Podcast, about people, objects, and their stories. I'm your host, Thatcher Warwick Hess. Episode 12, Markers, Marginalia, Mother Goose. There are some objects on the show that are thematic, or they open up a larger question about a historical category of our material culture. It is especially fascinating when these themes intersect with the world today. That's why we're headed to the classroom to learn about a pencil box I bought in Tucson. It's a long wooden box that has a small keyhole on the front. But on the top lid, there's a large illustration of a witch riding on a bird. It's Mother Goose. And it has an old woman in a profile riding over a town. And she's sitting on a large flying goose. She's in a red dress. She has a pointy nose and a pointy chin. And she's wearing a black witch's cap. So, you know, she looks a little bit scary. This is Debbie Schaefer Jacobs. She is the curator at the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History. I am in the division of cultural and community life. That includes all kinds of domestic artifacts, things that people would have had in their home and in the community. I'm also the curator for the history of American education. We spoke on Zoom earlier this year, and I felt privileged to have someone from the Smithsonian help me out. This Mother Goose lithograph is a little scary but there's also a whimsical aspect to it. She's holding onto reins in the goose's mouth, gliding in the sunsetting sky of a European town landscape. On the top right corner of the mother goose drawing was her nursery rhyme. It says, old mother goose, when she wanted to wander, would ride through the air on her very fine gander. I honestly didn't know that mother goose had her own nursery rhyme. When I was doing research on the lore of children's rhymes and lullabies in the early part of the 20th century, I saw tons of Mother Goose books. On the cover of these books, it showed Mother Goose as a teacher who taught the other nursery rhymes to kids in the book. Mother Goose is an image that comes from the fairy tale, of French fairy tales and nursery rhymes, and then it's turned into English nursery rhymes. These Mother Goose pencil boxes were called a scholar's companion. The one that you have is called a scholar's companion. 
And that actually is a common name for a set that could be purchased at a stationery store or through mail order. I mean, there are school supplies that you can order by mail today. But the look of this box seems to be made around the turn of the century. The wooden boxes were made from 1895 to about 1915. So this box is over 100 years old, and most likely the oldest object we've discussed this season on the show. My mom actually bought this box at an antique mall in Tucson. Months later, I went back to the vendor and asked him where he got it. All he said was this guy came in with a container of random things. And this mother goose box was the only object he bought from him. Even when I brought it back to show the vendor, I could see the longing in his eyes for having sold such a cool piece of educational history. So the moment my mom showed me this box, I opened it. Thankfully, the locking mechanism was busted, and I didn't need the small key. Inside was a piece of paper with notes from school. I was astonished. You'd occasionally also find in these some kind of homework assignment or something that they've added in there that's a note maybe to another student or a reminder. Sometimes marbles, occasionally a trade card we've, we've found in some of ours. So the paper was folded in half to fit in the thin box. On one side, in pencil, was world history notes, and the other side was math class equations. It could be pre-algebra. What's interesting was that the whole interior of the box itself was covered in markings. Names of teachers, subjects in school, notes to peers, and one full name on the inside lip, close to a hinge of the lid. The signature is small, smudged, and hidden. But there are two lines drawn in blue pen on either side of the name. I unfortunately read many different names from this. It could be Bertha Robinson or Ben L. Robinson. You get what's called marginalia in books. I mean, kids scribble in their books. It's more than just their names. Kids have written poems. They've written, some of them are cute little ditties about how they hate their teacher, which I, I always get entertained with. As far as pencil boxes, that's usually a name of an owner, but it could also be that the kid is scrawling the name of their latest crush. You know, you don't, you really can't tell. In this case, she's right. I actually have seen a lot of pencil boxes just like this one, where the student only wrote one thing on the box, their name or the year. But with mine, there's almost too much writing. I couldn't even tell you everything that's written inside. Some words are overlapping and unintelligible. But there was something interesting inside the top lid. Six letters with dots between them, all acronyms. S-W-A-K and below that was P-D-Q. So these could just be any letters but I do believe these were colloquial acronyms. SWAK stood for sealed with a kiss, and PDQ was pretty darn quick. Though these terms were used during the 1910s, I originally thought that they became more popular in the 40s. So that's where I honed in my search. For any investigation on this show, it is important to find place, person, and time. I had somewhat of a name, no place of use, but now I could narrow in on a time frame. The fact that a student could be using this pencil box 40 years after it was made was actually quite common. And these boxes are marketed to parents and grandparents as gifts for students. These kids, many of them would be either children of immigrants or they themselves would be immigrants. So parents or grandparents would be willing to 
purchased these to encourage kids. They were sacrificing for a better life for their children. So maybe this is how my mother goose box found its way to Tucson. There was also another reason these were given to school children. The other thing that you'll see is some of these school supplies end up as gifts from teachers to students as rewards of merit and they get rewarded for behavior, for deportment, for perfect attendance. And the big one that I always love to hear about is for being quiet in school unless you're called upon. So this box could have come from a teacher and it could have been used as a presentational object in that day's lesson. By the early 1900s in the US, we were just starting to implement a more visual and interactive form of educational learning. And this is called sharing. Sharing your own experiences, your own discoveries. He's learning by telling, learning to organize his knowledge, learning to share it with others. This period also is a period in which they introduce something called object learning. And with that, they take everyday objects and it's almost like a show and tell that teachers do for the classroom. But before I could conjecture how my mother goose box was given to a student, I needed to know where it came from. So the scholar's companion that you have is a special type of box because it's designed for importation from Germany. So it's more of a high-end box. And it was sold and shipped to stores in big East Coast cities of the United States. And in those stores, the Scholar's Companion boxes ranged in price from 5 to 10 cents. But that's just the price of an unfilled box. And then the prices would go up with each accessory that you would add. You could purchase it as a beginner kit and then add to it as you went along. These boxes would have wooden dividers in the middle. And I could see the notches inside mine where it would have been. It was used to separate all the utensils that came inside. And it would include typically a pencil, which could be a slate pencil, depending upon how early, and then later on a graphite pencil, and a dip pen. Dip pens are the utensils with metal points that collect ink. In later sets, they would sell fountain pens, which would hold the ink inside the body of the pen. There are also early marking pens or markers created by the 1910s. Some students would even bring their own inking bottles. And occasionally even, we have a few in the collections that have small little personal bottles that would have ink put in it. It's a very tiny bottle, so you know you could maybe get a letter out of it. You wouldn't be getting much else out of that. Occasionally, students use quill pens to dip in the ink, but they needed a way to sharpen it. You end up with what's worse is Little boys and some little girls have these pen knives. And definitely some of the little girls have the sewing scissors. In these sets, you could get more than just writing implements. You would include a small ruler. Now, other things were also included in these boxes. An eraser, a protractor, a compass, crayons, chalk. Chalk was also called crayons at the time. So these boxes could be filled with many useful tools for school. It could be a customizable vessel of anything you needed in the classroom. I found newspaper ads with promotions to give away Scholar's Companions with other school supplies. There were giveaways from shoe stores and general stores. I saw one ad from Topeka, Kansas from 1899 that gave away any Scholar's Companion with the purchase of a child's suit. 
but American education in the early 1900s was in its early stages, trying to navigate the best methods of institutionalization. Keep in mind, back 100 years ago, first of all, not all kids attended school. We were just beginning to get to the point of compulsory education. So, you know, it could be a third of the kids that didn't, didn't attend school. That wasn't unusual. And in the early part of the 20th century, schools were being developed from the east to west coasts. So most of the east coast and midwestern students went to urban schools, whereas when the country moved west, rural schools popped up. But over half of the schools in the country were rural schools and country schools. So, you know, it was different. The class sizes were smaller. They were multi-age. I felt like I was inching my way to possibly find the student who owned this pencil box. Most likely, they lived in the East Coast or Midwest, possibly in junior high or high school age, and could be directly linked to an immigrant family. I went to Ancestry.com to see if I could find anyone who fit this wide net, but it's hard to do that with no discernible name. After days led into weeks of searching, I tried narrowing my search to the 40s and 50s. Maybe some of the marginalia scribbles were from 30 years prior when the box first came out. It could be a family heirloom passed down from parent to kid. I found someone that seemed to fit this narrative. Her name was Bertha Robison. She was born in 1940 in central Pennsylvania. Her mother was also called Bertha Robison. And the mother's grandfather on her dad's side, the Dutenhofers, were from Germany. I found the daughter of the younger Bertha on Facebook. After two letters and five messages sent to her family, I got no response. But again, I'm not 100% sure it's hers. And even if it was her mom's or her grandmother's, they most likely had it at age 5 to 15, where handwriting and family records aren't fully developed. I still haven't found the student who owned this particular box, but there are still stories to tell that get us closer to the mystery behind Scholar's Companion. I saw many of these boxes sold online. One thing was subtly different from my box. It had a little green ribbon on the small nail above the keyhole, the only personal remnant of the student who owned it, other than the notes written inside. In regards to researching Bertha's German ancestry, I realized how inextricably linked immigration was to shifting perspectives in the American classroom. Because there, there is a very large influx of immigrants and the schools grow, you know, five times the size of what they once were. I mean, they just keep building and building and building because the population just keeps expanding and expanding. There were Asian and European families coming into the United States for labor. And this was around the same time when patriotism started to grow in the United States. In the 1870s, after the Civil War, many war vets wanted to see patriotic emblems in everyday life. These were small grassroots movements that started in the classroom. And we have proof of that within the material culture of the classroom. Your pencil box is an example of that. You would see eagles, you would see flags, you would see pictures of George Washington hanging on your school walls. This is also when the Pledge of Allegiance is pushed into the daily school schedule. So there was patriotic fervor and Americanization that leaked its way onto material objects used in school. Those slate pencils that one could buy with this box were wrapped in American flag paper, and later wooden pencils were each stamped with an eagle. This all started during the Chinese Exclusion Act in Jim Crow era, 
which in turn excluded Asian immigrant families and African Americans from white public school systems. But you have, you know, you have a very large immigrant population that comes in and it's very mixed. The Chinese language schools are developed, but again, they're to teach the kids how to assimilate into English and, and into their new country. Again, this where they started was back in this very strong nativist period and a lot of exclusion, a lot of segregation. The reason I mention all of this is because the Scottish Companion was a conduit for this rhetoric. We have a number of collections, including a Scholar's Companion just like yours that have patriotic themes across the top. So, you know, ones that have eagles, ones that have the U.S. shield. Debbie is talking about a box that is in their collection. It's just as patriotic as it gets. It's a Scholar's Companion box with an eagle, flag, and a shield. I looked back at my Mother Goose box. I wanted to compare these lithographs. The eagle versus the Mother Goose. A couple of things stood out. The eagle one actually had the words Scholar's Companion, and it had something on the bottom right. It said, Made in Germany. The only thing my lithograph has is that Mother Goose nursery rhyme on the top right. No artist signature or company mark. It's amazing that the eagle box and the Mother Goose were named in the same set, both called Scholar's Companion. One is overly patriotic, and the Mother Goose one seems to celebrate a European tableau of a foreign fairy tale. Drawings just like the witch-like one started popping up around the 1860s, with the European village backdrop. Some historians state that foreign or exotic locations were put into children's drawings to remind them of home. It's almost as if this Mother Goose Scholar's Companion was made for an immigrant coming to the United States. Unfortunately, I could not find this exact Mother Goose drawing anywhere. But this wasn't the only Scholar's Companion nursery rhyme box made. They have a lithograph on the cover on the top, and that lithograph varies for different imagery. Sometimes it could be a place that's geographic that the kids might be studying. What we most frequently see are the patriotic imagery. But there's also schoolhouses and ABCs, and in your case, you have Mother Goose. I did some digging on Scholar's Companion, and there is not much, but I found a lot of people selling these pencil boxes on eBay and Etsy. With a similar art style, I saw the little Jack Horner in Old Mother Hubbard boxes. But overwhelmingly, I saw this exact Mother Goose Scholar's Companion pencil box. I saw over 10 different pages selling them, but everyone was already sold. I contacted one of the sellers of the same Mother Goose box, who actually had some very interesting information. Her name is Jeannie. Here's an actor reading Jeannie's responses to me on her Etsy page about her grandmother named Barbara. They came from the Black Forest area, but I'm not sure of the town or village. She came with her parents in 1911, and her mom gave it to her. That's all I know. She then explains in the message that her sister has done some family genealogy, it seems that when they came to the United States, they changed their name to Wilderman. But all other records with that name don't exist. So maybe the name was Americanized as they assimilated into the United States. The same thing happened with the Bertha Robison family, the one whose name I believe is on this box. In more recent records, I saw that their last name was changed to Robinson with an extra N. Here's the rest of Jeannie's response. We were little and didn't ask. The Lutheran church they attended burned, so all records were lost. 
So I went back to the drawing board and focused on the Black Forest area of Germany, where Jeannie's family had lived around the turn of the century. It's a large forested mountain range in the southwest corner of Germany, tucked in between Switzerland and France. There's a very rich history of wood craftsmanship in this area. That is when I thought that maybe the pencil box was made there. But my other research shows differently. Since the Scholar's Companion was made to be imported to the United States, I didn't know how many were sold locally in Germany. Remember, the Mother Goose nursery rhyme on the top is in English, but maybe the imagery mattered more than the words. So most likely, these boxes were made in a factory in larger German cities. In an 1897 appeal for Virginian laborers of slate pencils, I saw reference that the German government oversaw most of slate pencil production. These were the slate pencils that one could buy in this box. According to the appeal, the German government was producing a million and a half per day by the end of 1896. So it wouldn't be outlandish to think that these Scholar's Companion boxes were manufactured by the German government. That is possibly why there are no company marks for the Scholar's Companion and why the lithograph Mother Goose has no accredited artist. But of course, when World War I started, the production of these boxes stopped. But you gotta remember in World War I, the French and the English are our friends. So they stopped importing it from Germany. What made this challenging was that German, as a language, was taught in most American schools. Prior to World War I, German is taught in the classroom a lot. It is one of the popular second languages. It's not Spanish unless you are in the West or the Southwest. It's German, particularly in the Midwest. And that changes. You start seeing state legislation to end German being taught in the schools. It was at this point when I realized, after literally trying every avenue to find this missing student's pencil box, that I decided to take a step back. This show is about people, objects, and their stories. What fulfills me most about my job is finding the people's stories that were the closest link to the object. But that doesn't always happen. Sometimes we have to look at the bigger picture. I had found a lot of Scholar's Companion pencil boxes online, and each of those had a story. I want to look at this episode as a collective. Instead of focusing on the micro-history of one pupil's pencil box, I hope to understand multiple stories that arose from different Scholar's Companion boxes. I theorized earlier that this box could belong to Bertha Robison, whose great-grandparents came from Germany in the 19th century. From my records, her mom died when she was eight years old and was adopted a year later. So if her mom, also with the same name, gave this to her in the 1940s, then these school notes were from a child who was motherless. She died in 1998. And while her daughter and husband are alive, I still have not heard back from them if this box was ever a part of their family. Do you remember the Patriotic Eagle Scholar's Companion in the Smithsonian Collection? Well, on the bottom of the one Debbie mentioned was this. Miles W. Jumberger, companion box when he started school at six years old. Miles Jumberger was born in 1896 to Father David, who was a farmer, and his mother Emma in southern Pennsylvania. I actually found a picture of Miles with his wife, Gussie, in 1918, 16 years after he signed his name on the Eagle Scholar's companion box. Miles was drafted in World War I at 21 years old and later served in World War II at 46 years of age. He then died in 1966 at the age of 70. Lastly, we found someone selling their grandmother's Mother Goose pencil box on Etsy. 
a Wilderman family that immigrated through Ellis Island in 1911 that gifted a pencil box to the next generation of young learners and their family. Now, as kids are coming back to school in person this fall of 2021, it is hard to imagine how much has changed since 1911. And we can see this evolution in Scholar's Companion pencil boxes from each story. But nowadays, of course, we've got pouches. Although, again, with COVID, from what I understand, a lot of school supplies now have returned to a box style. You know, each kid has their own box with their own supplies. So there's, there's not the same sharing that there was, you know, two years ago. It is interesting how our daily supplies and tools are shaped by phenomenon, like diseases. Remember, the influenza pandemic broke out in 1918 after this pencil box was made. So looking at a box that has lived through two global pandemics in different contexts is fascinating, and most likely affected the three tangential stories told earlier in very different ways. This box has shown that there can be happiness in finding unexpected outcomes. This time capsule pencil box highlights the idea that education is always evolving, and that students from all different backgrounds are worth celebrating. Thank you for joining us on another Object Obscura adventure, where every object has a story. But of course, this investigation is still ongoing. If you know anything about this pencil box's owner, then contact Object Obscura. We'd love to hear your story. We're going to post all the pictures of the box, the notes, handwriting scrawls on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook pages. This was a production of the Obscurity Podcast Network. Thank you to Debbie Schaefer-Jacobs for helping me understand the history of this Scholar's Companion pencil box. Go to the Smithsonian's National Museum of American History website, americanhistory.si.edu. So go ahead and support them, and you can see some of the Scholar's Companion boxes in their digital collections, like the Eagle one that Miles owned. Thank you to Jeannie for sharing a little bit of your family history. You can check out her Etsy store, Vintage Prairie Home. Voice of Jeannie by Shannon Warwick. Special thanks to all the other people who helped me out. Ken at 22nd Street Antique Mall, Rosa Marie Urbanski, Perry Pyle, and Dr. Andreas Morgenstern. This was an Anchor Distributed Podcast. Produced, written, edited, scored, mixed, and fact-checked by me. The theme song is Behind the Walls by my great friend Nathany. Check out her amazing music on Spotify and Apple Music. All other song and archival credits are in the description. Go to Apple Podcasts or iTunes and give us a rating. I love feedback. It's what helps the show get better every week. You can also give us a donation. There's a PayPal donation button on our website, object-obscura.com. Anything helps us out to investigate more amazing stories in the future. We hope that we can travel to meet each person face-to-face in a possible next season. Want to reach out to us? Well, send us a message on Facebook at Object Obscura Podcast, Instagram at object.obscura, and Twitter at Object Obscura. It can be about an object you want discussed on the show, anything obscure, or a cool story about material culture. We're going to be taking another break. I'm actually traveling to meet someone in person for a future episode. So the next episode will come out in two weeks on Friday, November 5th. Here's a little clue for the next episode. Sometimes finding the families takes many tries, but it's rewarding when we're taken to the skies. Both my other brother and I were on a bus and the police stopped the bus in Brunswick. And both of us looked at each other and just got up and got off the bus.
<laughs> yeah, I mean, it was just one of those things you just knew. See you in two weeks. <laughs>